0: Hello and welcome to The Powers That Be, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. Welcome. We did something unusual this week. We taped the episode you're about to hear on Tuesday before Jeff Zucker resigned from CNN. So don't miss the emergency pod that we put out yesterday on CNN and Zucker and What It Means, which features Matt Bellany, Dylan Byers, and myself. And speaking of Matt and Dylan, First up on today's show, we'll get a quick visit from Matt to talk about the insane prices for Super Bowl tickets here in LA and the insaner ratings that the NFL has been getting on TV. After that, we'll be joined by Dylan Byers to discuss the Byzantine world of cable news and what Rachel Maddow's hiatus means for MSNBC. These are the great sort of conversations you can only have with expert insider reporters who really know what's going on. I hope that you enjoy The Powers That Be. Joining me now is our man in Hollywood, Matt Bellany. Matt, uh, I want to talk to you about football. This is not a ringer podcast or bar barstool. This is Puck. But I'm talking to you while wearing my Cincinnati Bengals t-shirt. My dad is from Cincinnati. And, you know, I saw you tweet something about this uh, right before you started taping this. But I would love to go see the Bengals, the first team I ever cried over, go to the Super Bowl in my town at SoFi Stadium. But the nosebleeds are like six thousand dollars. And that's for a nosebleed. And I'm like having a hard time justifying that. Are you what what do you what do you why is this happening?
1: Yeah, I, I made the mistake of going to StubHub and looking up the Super Bowl, which is a quick lesson in the economics of modern capitalist America. The best seats were 40 grand, the nosebleeds were about five grand. I mean, it's insane. I think the combination of the Rams being in a Super Bowl in LA which has a new stadium and is the kind of show place for people coming out of the Omicron surge and wanting to do something fun. I think all of that is combining for these insane prices. It's funny, I've, I talked to people at some of the talent agencies this week where the celebrities are all of a sudden interested in football and are like, hey, you know, I'd like to go to the game. Can you hook me up? And the agents are like, Oh, crap. I got to find Super Bowl tickets for my client that made me five million dollars last year and nobody can find them. So they're literally going on these sites and trying to buy tickets to give to their clients. It's pretty insane.
0: Not that every big city doesn't have like corporations and clients and people they need to make happy and get tickets for. But yeah, does does this feel like unique to L.A.? Would I be able to buy Super Bowl tickets if this thing was in Atlanta or Houston or Indianapolis for cheaper? I think I would.
1: Right. Super Bowl is always a tough ticket and it's, you know, it, a lot of the tickets are already pre-sold. The league takes a lot of tickets to give the sponsors and, you know, the teams, etc. But I do think there is something special about this game because of the confluence event of events around L.A. where, you know, everyone wants to be in the middle of the action in the hot new place and this is it. The Rams happen to be good this year and happen to be in it. Um, which adds a, another element. You know, I grew up in Southern California. I was a Rams fan when I was a, a kid. Even you know, I was in Orange County, and they were in Orange County. I'm not a huge NFL fan, but I've been following them. So, like, yeah, I'd love to go. I've not been invited yet. If listeners of this <laughs> podcast have an extra spot in their box, um, I am available. You can find me on Twitter. So we'll see the rate. I mean, the thing is, the ratings for this season also have been a factor. The the audiences for the NFL have been huge. We just saw this past weekend, the championship games. The early game had an average of 47 million people. The later game on Fox, the Rams game, was 50 million average. 60 million people were watching at one point during the game. I mean, those numbers are insane. They they have not reached those heights in six, seven years. And the TV universe is smaller because there's been a lot more cord cutting. So the audience for the NFL has shot up this season. And I think we're going to see that. With the Super Bowl, I think you're going to see the Super Bowl go over 100 million viewers, which it has not done in the past couple of years.
0: But break that down a little bit. I mean, like, obviously, the playoffs in both conferences have been electric. There's so many good storylines, but like and close games, that,
1: close games matter.
0: Sure. But why are the numbers so much bigger beyond the electric storylines of the playoffs?
1: Well, first of all, that's a good question. I think the, the appeal of the NFL has come back as large-scale events have come back, as people have shaken off some of the controversies of the past few years, whether it's the Black Lives Matter or the concussion issue. You know, All of those things are, are largely minimized these days. But what's amazing is that the universe of available televisions is smaller because people have cut the cord. It used to be that there was I believe something like 80-90 million homes had, you know, cable subscriptions and then you add on top of that the people who just get broadcast. Now it's much smaller, so these high numbers that are being generated are even more impressive. Yes, some of the games are available on streaming as well, but that audience for live sports on streaming is not big yet, at some point it will be. It's these television audiences, these linear TV audiences that are coming back. And football is really the only thing that's moving the needle at this point.
0: So for people listening, Matt has to go to Century City in a minute to busk for Super Bowl tickets outside of the agencies. But uh, one, one thing I want to ask you before you go is one thing that people traditionally do in January when there's nothing else to do is go to movies. And we've talked a lot on The Powers That Be about declining attendance for movies and theaters. January just ended? Or did people go to the movies in
1: January 2022? I think there's a couple things going on. The, the box office for January was way down below 2019, 2020, pre-pandemic. I think the fact that Omicron was, was a big factor scared a lot of people away. It scared the studios for the most part. There was a big Sony superhero movie, Morbius, that was supposed to premiere in January and was pushed to April. Some of these other movies are just sort of like petering out or going straight to streaming. Spider-Man was still huge. The Sing 2 movie was okay. Scream did okay. The reboot. But other than that, it was pretty much a dry January at the box office and February isn't going to be much better. There's a Jackass sequel. There's a Tom Holland, Mark Wahlberg movie. Um, there's a, yeah, there's a couple of others that are you know buying. There's a Jennifer Lopez movie that uh, is available also on Peacock, Marry Me. But For the most part, the studios have pushed these movies out of the Omicron wave. Now that it's receding, we'll see how they come back.
0: Thank you, as always, Matt Bellamy. Coming up, I talk to Dylan Byers about Rachel Maddow, MSNBC, and what it means for primetime cable news. Stick around. Thanks again for listening to The Powers That Be and for supporting Puck, our new company focused on the inside conversation, the plot that only insiders know. The Real Story at the Nexus of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood. Puck's content is great. Our scoops and analysis will help you understand the most important stuff happening in our culture today. And when you subscribe to Puck, you're supporting our great team, empowering us to do the work that really matters to grow our business and pave a path for a new media model. So check us out at www.puck.news. Welcome back to The Powers That Be. Joining me now is Dylan Byers, fresh back from a road trip to Zion. How was it? (laughs) Uh, Gorgeous. (laughs)
2: Devastatingly beautiful. Much needed. Uh, It was great. Celebrated my birthday.
0: Uh, Happy birthday. Thank you. That's one thing I love about living in Los Angeles is you can certainly leave New York City, leave D.C., and get to some wonderful places, but... Man, you can drive out of LA four or five hours in any direction and see some of the most beautiful things you've ever seen in your yeah, life. I
2: know. It's, it's really crazy because the West is so, like the interior West is thought of as such, you know, this like beautiful, desolate, but very remote landscape. But the truth is you can, it, it's actually very accessible if you're willing to drive.
0: Yeah. We went up to a Mammoth over the weekend and, um, you know, getting out of LA was brutal, but we made it back in a cool four and a half hours and listened to the bangles on the radio. It was nice. Dylan, I want to ask you about the biggest story in TV news this week, which fulfills some of your reporting from a few weeks back, which is that Rachel Maddow, who holds down the biggest ratings for MSNBC, the biggest ratings on cable news outside of Fox, uh, and really a signature, the signature face of MSNBC, certainly in prime time since I can't even remember when it must've been the Bush years or the early Obama years, whatever, she said she's going to take a step back from her show and focus on other projects. What exactly is she doing? Well, uh, I mean, (laughs) one funny thing is so
2: there's been this like MSNBC sort of has this kind of like this doomsday clock, right, which is we've known for a long time that Rachel Maddow was going to step back from hosting or at least had the option in her contract to step back from hosting the primetime program. And as you and I have discussed before, MSNBC does not have any great options for what to do about it, but they're sort of biding their time hoping that by the time they get to April, they will have either figured out a solution or convinced her to actually continue doing her primetime show. And then she sort of comes out and announces that months ahead of that deadline, she's going to go ahead and take this extremely long hiatus. And... You know, I think it just highlights, I I don't know exactly yet why she chose to do this now or, or whether or not she was just sort of in a position to basically say, to hell with it, I want to start experimenting early and no one's going to tell me I can't. But either way, it just, it really highlights this thing that you and I have discussed before and that I've reported on a number of times now. NBC is leaning so hard and they are so reliant on a very, very short list of on-air talent. And without Rachel Maddow, there isn't really a primetime strategy yet. So now all of a sudden they're being forced to figure out what that strategy is or run a bunch of trial balloons for what that strategy might be in the moment. And it's sort of gonna be this really weird, uncomfortable time, I think, where everybody who follows this business is going to get a very good understanding of just how integral she is to the business right now. And the fact that no one can really fill her shoes. I think we'll see a lot of people sort of sit in that chair and take a run at trying to, to host her show. But this is probably going to be really brutal for MSNBC in terms of the ratings and in terms of public
0: perception for a while until they figure something out. There's a lot of interesting threads to this, which I want to get into. But can you just Tell me why you say that. I mean, how, what are her ratings compared to other hours on MSNBC?
2: Yeah, well, like double. I mean, so she lifts the ratings for the show ahead of her and the show behind her, right? And so those shows, which would not, which probably would not even garner more than a million viewers, might do so because of her. And she and she alone bats in the same league. As the Fox News primetime star. She doesn't beat them or rarely beats them, but she's up there, right? She's like, if you look at the 20 most watched shows on cable news, 19 of them are on Fox News and one of them is on MSNBC and it's hers. So if you think of Fox News as its own beast because of its politics and because of its sort of what it is, which is, it's very hard to call it news, obviously, at least in primetime. She is the only person in the entire cable news landscape that is actually that you could actually really say is a star. She has a star power that far exceeds that of the the names that are household names in, you know, between you and I, like Jake Tapper, Don Lemon, Anderson Cooper, even Lawrence O'Donnell or Chris Hayes. She's just batting so far above the rest of those people. And that is the entire MSNBC has built its back. On top of that business the other brand that it's built is back on top of of course is morning joe and they are going to continue now with the expansion of morning joe into what is effectively it's four hours but it's really five hours because they also own the 5 a.m hour they're basically leaning again so heavily on one single talent and i completely understand expanding your franchises milking your existing IP. It's something that's done in Hollywood all the time. It's something NBC did with the Today Show and they expanded the Today Show to four hours. But what we're seeing with Maddow is a prime example of just how vulnerable you leave yourself if you put all your chips down on one or two of the talents in your roster.
0: Yeah. So what does this say about MSNBC's president, Rashida Jones? She took over for Phil Griffin last year Phil was known for managing talent very well that was his that was his calling card um, which is not to say that that Rashida Jones is not good at managing talent but is this just a case where contracts are expiring after the Trump years and people are trying to do some different things or are people there unhappy? First of
2: all Rashida Jones has pretty limited power right The person who is actually, responsible for making sure that Rachel Maddow is happy and Joe Scarborough is happy isn't Rashida. And it's not even the person above Rashida, who's Cesar Conde, and, and he's the NBC News chairman and used to be in that role. It's Jeff Shell, the president of, of NBC. But that also speaks to part of the problem, which is that the most important thing the leader of a cable news channel does is manage the talent. And that means a lot of different things. It means keeping talent happy. It means keeping talent loyal. It means having a, like a very strong relationship with with the talent and making the talent feel like you are a a smart, ambitious leader. And Andy Lack sort of used to operate, you know, play that role for a while before he got sort of mired in his own in you know the scandals that beset NBC. But now NBC doesn't really have that. They've got Rashida, who's effectively powerless and I think hasn't really been given a clear mandate from above about what to do with the network besides invest in diversity, which is a really good thing. But that's not an overarching strategy for a news network. They've got Cesar Conde, who is the chairman but he's not like an Andy Lack type or certainly not like a Jeff Zucker type he's not the kind of person who becomes very involved in the editorial day-to-day decisions and and the mission of the newsroom he's someone who has in fact said to some of the on-air talent that's not my department i'm on the business side which is fine again also fine but and then and then of course Jeff Shell who is responsible for running the entirety of NBC Universal so obviously he's got a lot of other stuff on his plate so i you know i think that's basically a newsroom that is lacking for a leader and i think in that vacuum you basically have talent sort of taking over and running the show and so in at nighttime that's really Rachel Maddow who's really calls the shots in primetime and about what that looks like up until now And then in the morning, you've got Joe Scarborough and his sort of clique of chummy DC and New York media and political insiders. And those are two very big, powerful brands for the network. But it's not like there's one captain sitting at the top of the ship and thinking about how those play into each other and what comes between them. And so MSNBC now is very sort of incoherent in a way, because you've got The Morning Joe political insider show, which will now take up almost the entirety of the AM hours. Then you've got basically what's NBC News stretched across cable throughout the middle of the day. And then you go into primetime, which is increasingly the sort of like liberal, you know, appealing to the sort of like woke sensibilities of the left wing of the Democratic Party. And that's just it's just weird. It's not like Fox News, which is like staunchly right from morning, noon and night or CNN, which either Tax toward, you know, we are the hard news channel or tax toward, you know, more recently, the sort of resistance programming against the Trump administration. There's not a coherent editorial strategy at MSNBC. It's just sort of like, how do we leverage the two stars that we have and do what we
0: can with that?
2: But like, that's that's that strikes me as sort of a uncertain business proposition.
0: It does. But at the same time, you know, and, and first of all, like CNN and MSNBC are always dueling for second place and Fox's ascendant. But I'm trying to remember, I'm thinking back to 2007, 2008. It feels like MSNBC has always kind of been caught between we'll do the straight news during the day. And then we have the more ideological programming in the evening. And, you know, it works in the sense that it ebbs and flows with election cycles and who is in the white house or who isn't in the white house right so like maybe this is just a question of cable managing decline right that ratings are going down revenues are going down and you just don't want to rock the boat <laughs> too significantly doesn't it feel that way yeah sure you
2: don't want to rock the boat but but it's also i it, you should be investing in keeping Rachel Maddow Even if that means not having her in prime time. And you should expand Morning Joe to four hours so that you can build, you know, a stronger audience on the West Coast. And because whatever, you know, whoever's watching MSNBC in the morning is probably more likely to watch a fourth hour of Morning Joe than not. These are fine things to do. If I had the cards in my hand that NBC had in their hand, I would probably do the same thing. my only point is that, like, these are not very good cards to have in your hand to only have... These two brands that you sort of, and one of them is actually going to be leaving her primetime slot. And then the the other one is like increasingly wielding more power than the executives themselves. And it's just like, you know, I don't know. Ideally, when you're running a business, you would have something that you would have a brand and you would have a strategy and you would have leadership that was more enduring than any one talent. And so, in fact, Fox News has done that. Bill O'Reilly went away. Tucker Carlson is stronger than ever. Fox News is actually, despite how much we understand the names like Bill O'Reilly, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, the Fox News brand is, is powerful because it's a beacon for the right and a home for the right. The CNN brand, I would argue, despite how crappy their ratings can be, is a really strong brand because despite the, the best efforts of Jeff Zucker during the Trump administration, it remains like a brand that is synonymous with news, with cable news, and with reporting from around the world. And I just think that I, I think the MSNBC brand is on shaky ground because, first of all, let's talk about the political thing. In primetime, like the left wing of the Democratic Party actually doesn't represent the Democratic Party, it just represents a piece of the Democratic Party. And in morning, you've got a guy who is a former GOP congressman who's, along with his colleagues, is kind of playing it more down the middle in terms of like the establishment, you know, political groupthink with, you know, the occasional doses of stuff that goes against the conventional wisdom. And then in the middle of that all, you're actually trying to do this sort of straight hard news thing that CNN does. It just it's lacking for cohesion and it's lacking for any sort of unique, ambitious strategy that would really distinguish it. And I think at the end of the day, if you were to ask most people who watch cable news, if they had to choose between one and they're not like far left, I think they might end up choosing CNN just because they know they can rely on it for those like major news moments. So I I don't know what kind of leader NBC or MSNBC needs, and I don't know what kind of strategy they should pursue beyond just doubling down on Joe Scarborough and trying to hold on as hard as they can
0: to Rachel Maddow. But they need something this guess is just my managing decline question the the viewers under let's say 50 aren't really coming back to tv news and so that's more of the point i'm making is just like hold on to the people you have and expand their brands because you know you can sub in younger hosts you can try new formats but eyeballs have migrated to the smartphone and those folks are not coming back to CNN, MSNBC, in primetime every night. It remains a very baby boomerish audience. But I want to I want to talk about the next few months, though, specifically about primetime. So, Madow, she told Michael Grinbaum at the Times that she wants to pursue some of the you know longer docu series things she's been working on. She she did a podcast called Bagman for NBC that was very successful, and she wants to develop that into a movie and like I totally identify with that like doing cable news for especially in her case is a grind and you want to use some different muscles and take a breather so she's saying she's going to take a hiatus but you know it kind of feels like it feels like a breakup where you take a break get back together and then you finally break up like it doesn't sound like she's really going to come back in any full-time way and so if that's the case, who is going to step into that hour? Because we know that MSNBC has replaced Brian Williams at 11 p.m. with uh, Stephanie Rule, who used to have a morning uh, show on the network. Who else could be in the mix to either fill in for Rachel here and there or just fully take her place? Or is that not even being discussed yet?
2: Well, no. I mean, as you know, one of the f- first things I reported for Puck now, God, six months ago, was that. You know, the the sort of internal favorite candidate is Nicole Wallace, because she's and you and I have discussed this before, and she's seen as someone who's sort of can be a star and has done very well in terms of her 4 p.m. show, which then got expanded to two hours. And, you know, and maybe that'll work in the past when when Nicole has sat in for Rachel, it has not obviously she hasn't like met Rachel's ratings. But, like you know, as, as I've written, you can build brands around people once you decide that you're going to invest in them. And you can make people stars once you decide that you need them to be a star. That's all doable, you know. And then the other option is you, you you sort of double down on the like voice of the of of the progressive movement, and you try and find someone who you know who you think you could cultivate as the next Rachel Maddow. But the problem is is that when Keith Olbermann vacated his slot at MSNBC Primetime. Rachel was ready, and Rachel was a known quantity, and she became a star very fast. I think for MSNBC, whoever they put in that chair, it's going to take a lot more work, a lot more investment, a lot more marketing, a lot more handholding to turn that person into something even marginally successful. But I think Rachel, you know, I mean to your point about that—the fact that we're managing decline and the eyeballs have migrated elsewhere. I think what Rachel is doing, which is really smart, is she's understanding that, OK, fewer and fewer people are watching cable news. Where are they going? And they are going to streaming services where they can get great documentaries or long form things and, and where that becomes part of a package in the streaming universe in a way that just someone sitting behind the desk reading the news for an hour and, t- and talking to political advisors is just sort of becoming tired. And it's not really proven yet that that's going to have a healthy and robust home on streaming services.
0: Uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you about the Los Angeles angle, just to bookend this discussion. You wrote for Puck that Ari Emanuel, the power agent, president of Endeavor, it has been you know, the Wizard of Oz behind the scenes in a lot of these talent chess moves at the network. Who, who does he not represent As at a, MSNBC? He has a
2: stranglehold on the peacock. The people he represents at MSNBC are the people who you've all seen get better deals. I mean, so Rachel Maddow gets 30 million a year to work less. Joe Scarborough gets to expand his show to four hours, therefore giving him even more leverage in his contract negotiations because now they need to pay him more. And that boots out Stephanie Rule, and the 11 p.m. hour is open and a lot of people want it. The Ali Velshis of the world, the sort of journeymen of MSNBC want it. But who does it go to? It goes to Stephanie Rule. Now, I'm not discrediting her. She deserves it. She's. I think she's great. I think she's one of their stronger assets. But yes, like Ari Emanuel, and, and when I say Ari Emanuel, I mean like him and the people who work for him, who represent that talent, have a stranglehold on on NBC News and MSNBC. They just, to bookend the conversation, if you bet your business on one or two talents— Rather than the overall strength of your network or the overall strength of your brand, you're going to get squeezed by a guy like Ari Emanuel, who knows how to get you for every last dime and get every last dime for his clients that they can possibly get. Uh, and so, as many people have said, including one as the headline of our article, one high, very high-level person at NBC itself told me, it's Ari's network now, because the whole thing is being bet on talent that Ari represents
0: yeah I've always been as as former talent at one of these places you as well like I'm always interested in how these negotiations work because there's only so much real estate for talent to go across tv news and then cable news specifically so the leverage points are just interesting if you play if you're a free agent in major league baseball or the NFL you know they're 15 to 30 suitors that can pay the big bucks and you know it's not like there's just not a lot of room and that's true
2: that's true for you perhaps you and me although not you anymore because you're a star now and the agents who represented us who are thinking in term in those terms there's a small smattering of options of places we could feasibly go rachel maddow is it's not like would, would she go to cnn it's like would she go to netflix would she go to apple does she even, she doesn't even need to do anything? And the point is is that the talent that at least in Rachel and Joe, the talent that Ari represents is the talent who the network needs them more than they need the network. And that's the point at which you can really squeeze someone even if like, yeah, there is only one other cable news network that these people could conceivably work for because Jeff Shell, who just relatively recently a year or so ago took over NBC, And hired Cesar Conde or gave Cesar Conde a promotion and gave Rashida Jones her first, you know, her job as president of the network. None of these people want to be responsible for coming into the job and losing Rachel Maddow or losing Joe Scarborough. And so all the leverage rests in Beverly Hills at Ari Emanuel's (laughs) office.
0: (laughs) Well, look, I will say to Rachel Maddow, getting paid $30 million to work less in your words, is goals good job, um, Dylan? Thank you for explaining the o- opaque, Byzantine, weird world of cable news to me. Even though I, we both were in there, but also to our listeners because you know it 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 can be cutthroat. There's a lot of money moving around, even though you know it isn't the juggernaut that it once was. Yeah. I don't know how
2: much longer that's going to last, but we we will, well, will they manage decline, we will chronicle
0: decline. <laughs> Thank you, Dylan. Have a good weekend. All right, man. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Eric Johnson of lightningpod.fm, our partner for his support. And thanks too to Liz Goff and Ben Landy for their production help. I'm Peter Hamby and I will see you next week.